Turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I just want to talk to you a little bit about a subject. You ever heard the phrase, you know, uh, been a stumbling block? You've heard stumbling block before. You ever try to figure out what's a stumbling block? That's a block that's called stumbling. It's a stumbling block. It's a block you stumble over. But do you think it's actually talking about an actual block? Like a concrete block? You know, you stumble over concrete blocks. Could it be referring to people that are actually causing other people to stumble? Think that's a good possibility? I think it might have something to do with that. But stumbling into sin, stumbling into sin. Some people don't stumble into it. They just go like a Martin to a gourd, you know. But here in 1 Corinthians in chapter 8, look down in verse 9. Verse 9. He says in verse 9, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. In other words, you having the liberty not to do certain things and liberty to do other things been misusing the freedom that we have in the Lord. Uh, you see, we're not under the law because we're under grace. Therefore, we don't have any responsibilities, right? No, we still have responsibility. And if we'd only realize that our greatest responsibility, besides the Lord, is seeing that other people don't stumble over our decisions that we make. Now, some people are looking for something regardless, otherwise you, you couldn't live. Somebody get, you know, been out of shape because you decided to be a vegetarian. Well, that's tough. Some other people, they want to, you know, just eat nothing but meat. Don't get caught up in stuff like that. There's things that are a lot more critical that causes people to stumble into sin that you need to be careful of. And uh, we're going to look at a couple of those things, and I think it can help you. But look what he says here. Lest this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Now, not everybody is strong. Not everybody can just overlook what somebody else does. So because you care about other people, you want to make sure that you're not doing something, you know, deliberately that could cause somebody to stumble. And you have to be careful of that. Also, he makes a statement here in verse 10. For if any man see thee, which hath knowledge, set it meet in the idol's temple... Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. So you have to be careful that you don't set a bad example. And there's some people say, well, it doesn't matter how you live. I mean, once you're saved by grace, it doesn't matter what you do. Well, I believe the Bible teaches that it does matter. It matters greatly. And it matters because it bothers somebody else's conscience when they're weak in the Lord and they stumble over you misusing your liberty. So he says here in verse 12, But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, who are you really sinning against? You sin against the Lord. You sin against Christ. And so you wouldn't think that, but if you keep people from coming to the Lord, if there's something that you do in your life that keeps people from growing in the Lord, whether they're saved or whether they're lost, there shouldn't be things in our life because the biggest goal of, 
A believer is to get people to come to the Lord. So you don't want to have something in your life that keeps people from coming to the Lord. And then there's those that know the Lord. They have eternal life. They're God's children. But there ought not be things in life that keeps a person from growing in the Lord. So we want people to grow. We want them to be strong. And so we're not to just offend. See there it says in verse 13, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend or cause him to stumble, causing people to stumble. And uh, it's what the word means. I will eat no flesh while the world stands, unless I cause my brother to offend. To offend them, to cause them to stumble. So you're not to be a stumbling block in the lives of other believers. Now look in chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 19. But 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, look there in verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. I made myself a servant. Now you can say, God, make me a servant. Well, God won't make you a servant. You have to decide to serve. Just serve. Go ahead and do it. Uh, God, make me a soul winner. Well, you'll be a soul winner if you just start winning souls. But that way you, you, you can always blame it. Well, I asked God to do it, and he didn't do it. Well, that's not the way it works. And so you're going to have to make the decisions. But when he's talking here in these verses about, all the way down to verse 27, talking about running a race, do you believe that if you ran a race, it could encourage other people to run the race? If you don't run the race, could it cause people not to run the race? Do you really believe that you have any influence in anybody's life? Nobody cares what I do. Nobody looks at me as an example. Well, you don't know who's watching you. But here he's talking about running a race. How you run the race, do you think that would affect other people on how they run the race? If, uh, if you cheat, do you think it causes other people to cheat? If you play by the rules, do you think it causes other people to play by the rules? There's things to always keep in mind. And so in chapter 9, he's talking about the influence that you also have in the lives of other people. Because, see, these Corinthian Christians were influencing each other. They were influencing each other. And what one was doing, the other ones would do it. And then other ones would do it. And they had all kinds of problems. People influencing people. And so that's why he says you're, there's people that are being stumbling blocks. You're causing others that are weak to stumble. He says, brethren, these, these things ought not to be. Now look in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, there's the word all mentioned quite a few times, and then the word some. Now, what God had done for the nation of Israel, as long as you were part of the nation of Israel, well, he did it for all of you. You see, he, he led them all out of Egypt and all through the sea and all into the wilderness and all under the fire and all under the, the cloud. And he fed them all and gave them all something to drink and all something to eat. He, he did it for all of them. He didn't have any favorites. He just did it for all of them. That's what he did. But also to understand that um, there were some people that were not satisfied with what God was doing. And so they, uh, they influenced others. Uh, even Aaron was kind of carried away with some of it. They even made a thing called a golden calf. Well, Moses... He whined and pined because he didn't want God to use him just to do the speaking. So I need somebody like my brother, maybe. You know, he, he's a good talker. Yeah, he sure was. 
He sure was. Got in trouble because of it. God was angry with them because of it. God wanted Moses to do it. and Well, I, I can't talk good. I, I can't, I'm not a good speaker. And there's people who say, well, I'm just not a good public speaker. Well, neither was Moses. Probably stuttered. Who knows what he did. But had a hard time articulating what he wanted to say. Got mad a lot of times. Got furious. Said things he shouldn't have said. Did things he shouldn't have done. But what I want you to see is down here in verse 5. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And then he tells you what, what they did. Some of the things they did, but they influenced other people. They were stumbling blocks in the lives of other people. So he says there in verse 6, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things. And they also lusted. So they did. Some of them did. But he's using this as an illustration so that you don't do what they did. But he's using other people. And the impact of Look, they stumbled, and uh, this is what they did, and don't you do like that. Don't you be a stumbling block, and you've got to be careful that you don't stumble over other people. You've got to keep your eyes wide open. You're still responsible for your own decisions. So you have to watch out. There's a lot of stumbling blocks in the world. And some of these stumbling blocks are some probably maybe good people that you know. It can even happen with people that you look up to, and they'll fail you, they'll let you down. And you'll use that as an excuse not to be faithful to the Lord. And so you stumble over somebody else's, you know, misstep or whatever. So he also makes a statement there in verse 2. Neither be ye idolaters as some of them. In other words, don't be like them. Don't stumble over this issue. Because you can stumble. And if you stumble, whoever's following you, well, they might stumble too. Then they may stumble. And then somebody else stumble. People are influenced by what other people do. And then he says in verse 8, Neither let us commit fornication at some of them committed. Now, not everybody did, but some of them did. And then when he talked about up there in verse 10, neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured. Do you think they influenced other people? When they complained, did they call other people to complain? Or was it just one person that complained? Or does a complainer cause other people to be complainers? People who gripe and murmur. Have you ever watched an old cowboy movie how, you know, one guy gets in there and he tries to stir everybody else up? Well, let's take him out and hang him right now. And the sheriff's got to hold a gun and try to keep him from taking the guy, and they knock him over the head, and they take the guy and they hang him. There wasn't one guy that did it. He just stirs up everybody else. And they stumble over somebody else's, you know, misdeeds. They say that um, two bullfrogs croaking at the same time can sound like a hundred. Everybody thinks like that. Everybody feels that way. No, they don't. It's just depending on what you're focusing on, what you're, you're listening to. So you have to be very, very careful. And so uh, look there in uh, verse 10. Verse 10 where he says, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. These are how some people fell in the wilderness, and they were stumbling blocks in the lives of other people. Now let's go to the book of Romans in chapter 9. 
Romans in chapter 9, and look in verse 32. Romans chapter 9. The children of Israel, the children of Israel. The Bible says that they stumbled. They stumbled. And they stumbled over grace because they thought salvation would be by the law. And they stumbled over the greatest truth in all the world, that a man is saved by faith and faith alone. But they stumbled over this truth. Anytime you add works to the gospel, you're causing people to stumble. If you teach such a message, you cause people to stumble. Just think of how many preachers even this day will teach people that they have to turn from their sin or make Christ the Lord and Master of their life and cause people to stumble. They'll stumble over that. Now, some people will step right over that, and all they'll hear is just trust Christ as Savior, and they'll trust the Lord. And, and Some of them still will have people trust the Lord. Not because they listened to the negative, but because they heard a positive. And some people never even hear it. And then some people will hear nothing but the negative. I've got to change my life. That's not for me, and they want nothing to do with it. They cause them to stumble. You've got to have a clear message. Otherwise, people stumble over it. And then somebody else picks up that same message and then broadcasts that one, and then another one, and then another one. And look how it has permeated. Remember, this thing started back there, you know, when Christ died on the cross and came back from the dead, gave it to his disciples and the apostle Paul, and, and they were, there you were. There, there were the original first soul winners. The clear-cut gospel, boom, there they had it. Mm. Has he got messed up since then? And how far has it spread? And look how many false teachers there are today in preachers and colleges and universities and radio preachers and TV preachers. They're causing people to stumble over something that they should never have stumbled over because it was made clear and plain. It's when man begins to add in something that doesn't belong there. And it causes people to question the truth and to believe the error. And that's a shame. But look in verse 32. Wherefore, because, because, they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Here's Christ. He was the stone that if... They had believed on him. He was a foundation upon which to stand. But if you don't understand it and you reject the salvation by grace, it's a stone that will grind you to powder. And then he says in verse 33, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, because salvation by grace offends people. It is a very offensive message because it does away with human efforts. And man wants to think that he's got to do something, and I helped. And God doesn't want anybody's help. He wants all the credit, all the honor, all the glory. And the only reason is, is because you don't deserve any. You didn't do anything. You can't do anything. All that you can do is believe that what he did was for you and you trust him as your Savior and God gives you as a free gift everlasting life. So verse 33, And as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed or confused or caused to stumble. 
when you believe on the Lord, you can know that you have eternal life, and that's the best news in all the world. Now look there in the book of First Peter. First Peter in chapter two. First Peter in chapter two. First Peter chapter two, and look there in verse eight. You'll notice that it's mentioned again. And the biggest thing that people stumble over is salvation by grace. And those who know it clearly have a responsibility to keep it clear so that people know exactly what God has done for them. And if you don't, then they, you start adding man's works into it, they will stumble. Many will totally reject it altogether. Then some will actually try to keep the law and do good works and thinking that's what's going to save them. And it's a messed up message. But he makes this statement here in verse 8, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient or unbelieving, whereunto also they were appointed. To disbelieve is to stumble. To disbelieve is to stumble. And whenever you give people a message that they cannot fully, truly understand, causes them to stumble. Now you can make the message clear, and then people reject that, but let it be that they're rejecting the truth of the gospel and not the false gospel because they don't understand. And you notice there in verse 7, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient or unbelieving, the stone which the builders rejected, this allowed the same as made the head of the corner. So Jesus Christ is the, the head of the church. He is the king of Israel. Now, take your Bible and turn there to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Four times this verse or this statement is used in the Bible. And that little statement is, Woe to that man. Woe to that man. So, well, what is it talking about? Well, woe to that man. What man is he talking about? Look in chapter 26 and look in verse 24. In verse 24, it says, The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man, by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. And look what he says. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Well, he said, well, he, he had to be born because he had to be Judas, and in Judas he, he had to betray the Lord. He didn't have to do it. Prophecy says this is what he's going to do, but he did it because of his own choice in what he did. Otherwise, why would Christ make a statement to a man, you know, it would been better if he'd have never been born? Well, aren't you in charge of that? Aren't you responsible? Then you create man? Unless a man still has a responsibility for his actions, for his decisions. Did his decision affect the other disciples? Look what he says here. And notice in verse 21, And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, 
is it I? So, because Christ even made the statement, did it cause some of them to wonder who it was? Are they even being influenced? Now they know that there is a traitor among them, and somebody is going to betray the Lord. Is it me? Who is it? And so he says in verse 23, And he answered and says, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man. Have you ever wondered why Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. I think there's a sermon there somewhere. But he says, Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Now he can do it. He can do it. And he can betray. God didn't stop him. But I don't believe he did because God had pre-programmed him and he had to do that because that was the will of God. No. I believe he did it because of his own choice. He didn't have to do that. But the Bible says God can use everything and God knowing things in advance can state certain things. And so he says here, In verse 25, Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered, said unto him, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, uh, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and so on. Then he says in verse 29, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So that day is going to come. Now look in verse 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, all ye shall be made to stumble because of me this night. To offend. You're going to be made to stumble because of me. Now, did they stumble because of influence of somebody else? I don't know. But it's amazing that it follows. Woe unto this man, not only because of what he did, but what he caused. You see, when you stumble... You don't stumble alone. You cause other people to stumble, other people to fall. And that's uh, not good. Look what he says in verse 33. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, they might stumble. Peter was saying, I will not stumble because I'm not going to be offended. I'm not going to stumble. I'm not going to betray you. This is all going back, I believe, in context. He said, and I will never be offended. I will never be offended. Now, think for a moment. Here's the Lord. He's been with these fellows for three, three and a half years. It's getting down to the time where he needs them the most. And he just told them, he says, uh, by the way, one of y'all are going to betray me. And then... In verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So I guess Jesus sung too. But they, they sung a hymn. They just had breaking of bread. They just had their communion service. And, you know, that's supposed to be communion. And yet it was one of the darkest days in the life of the Son of God. And here's Peter making this bolster statement, and at the same time, all of you are going to 
betray me. You're going to forsake me. All of you are going to be offended. All of you are going to stumble. You're going to stumble. Now, how would you feel? You just spent three and a half years of your life training people how to be strong. And they all blew it. A little on the discouraging side, wouldn't you think? Look in Matthew in chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, there's a brief little story. And talks about a little child, but he also talks about little children. And little children can also refer to not just, you know, in physical age, but also a reference to maybe his disciples or other young disciples, believers in the Lord. But it says up in verse 1, And the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And by the way, those scriptures we were just in just a minute ago. Uh, did you know that it also made the statement that they were also beginning to envy among themselves because they was wondering who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? of That, that was right before communion. Right before the communion. They were arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. These guys were really rock-solid giants in the faith, weren't they? Aren't you glad they're not like us? And they turned the world upside down. But that was because of something that happened a little bit later. But when you stop and you think about that, it's, it's just it's, it's, it's crazy. As you serve the Lord, do you think everybody's just going to love you to death? Do they appreciate how wonderful you are? That just always consider the source. People are people. God is God, but people are still people. The best among us is just still just a person. Nothing more. But it says here in verse 3, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted, become as little children. You shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But, look what he says in verse 6, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it means cause them to go astray, cause them to stumble. Do you think God takes this seriously? Do you think our lives are considered by God as a serious thing? I mean, the, the main thing is just get us saved and get us into heaven, and that's, well, I got that taken care of. Now, the rest of it doesn't really matter. Does it matter? Does our lives matter? God puts a great warning upon those who cause other Christians to stumble. And you ought to take it seriously because God takes it seriously. Look how serious he takes this. Look what he says. Because there are people who are also, because of their false message, is causing people to stumble over something that should have been cleared out of the way, and it's a clear pathway. They can see clearly what Christ done. But when you add works into it, you just gave them hurdles to jump over. Hurdles. They can't get the grace because they've got to get over these hurdles first. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to stop this. You've got to stop that. And if you do all of these things, you might make it to the pearly gates. And if you make it there, 
God will let you in by grace. But you've got to deserve it. That's a false message. But look what he says here. In verse 6, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But here's that statement. Woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. The person that does cause others to stumble. Putting a stumbling block in thy brother's way, Christians can do that to Christians. But lost people can do that to lost people. And lost people can do that to saved. And saved can do that to lost people. But as you go down through here, he's talking about this, and he mentions it several times. Verse 7 again. Woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Now, woe to that man is mentioned four times in the Gospels. Twice in the book of Matthew and once in the book of Mark and once in the book of Luke. So each one of these, three of them referred to Judas Iscariot. But I wanted to see the one. Look in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Mark 14 and look in verse 21. Where he makes this statement. Let's just start here in verse 17. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him, One by one, is it I? And another says, Is it I? See, one by one they did this. And verse 20, And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. You know, wouldn't it be a terrible thing for a person to believe that it would have been best if I had never been born? Have you ever said it to yourself? Have you ever wished at times, I wish I'd have never been born? And then you wouldn't have known nothing. No, you'd have been naive. You, you would have never existed. I wish I'd have never been born. I'm glad that I was. It's hard to fathom the idea that God has always been but can you fathom the idea that you will always be? From now on, you will always be. You're going to last for a mighty long time. Forever and ever and ever. Even in hell, a person exists forever, but he's not really living. You don't call that life. Forever dying and never dying. Forever dying and never dying. But wouldn't it be a shame for God to say, it would have been best if you had never been born. That would be hard to take. But I actually believe there's probably some people that woe unto them. And not just Judas, that it would have been best if they had never been born. Sometimes I think every person that rejects Christ as their Savior, everyone who rejects the Lord, it would have been best if they had never been born. I'm not saying my judgment is right. I'm just saying that's how I think.
It'd been better if they had never been born. But evidently, the decision they made doesn't have to always be that that's what God determined. They didn't have to make that decision to reject the Lord. But God says, woe to those individuals that causes a brother to stumble or the preachers that don't think it's that critical. I mean, they don't make it as clear as we do, but it's acceptable, it's all right. It's all right if a person trusts the Lord because he only heard part of it. But what about all the people that did not hear a clear gospel message? What about those that stumble over that message because they think they have to do something to be saved outside of trusting Christ? And they look at their works and thinking that they have to do this, and they are stumbling over these things. Look at the other one, Luke chapter 22. The book of Luke, chapter 22. Look at verse 21. Luke chapter 22 and verse 21. He makes this statement. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. Truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Now, Here's the other part that I wanted you to see. In verse 24, And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. So now he's got the problem with that. I mean, here's somebody's going to betray him, and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and they all are going to be offended by Christ. How would you feel like your ministry has gone would you be encouraged that, boy, I'm doing a great job? You know, you can have, whether it's ranch on Thursday night or Friday night with the Reformers Unanimous or church or anything that you have. It can be great, and then it seems like everything can just fall apart. It's like we're only building the ministry temporarily on the dedication of God's people because nobody stays faithful forever. Wouldn't it be neat if everybody did? But is it true that even today, people still get offended? Is it possible that I could preach a sermon? And that doesn't matter. If it's the truth, and it's from the book, and it's true, people still get offended? Is it possible for me to offend people? Is it possible that in the service to follow, that I might make somebody upset? Is it possible? But it doesn't mean that I'm wrong just because they got offended, does it? It's just some people don't like hearing something. They don't care if you preach on sin if you don't name one. You can preach against sin, just don't tell us what it is. Don't be too specific. I had a, uh, a time I was preaching, and, and uh, I, I didn't know this at the time, but I had made the statement in the church, I says, you know, I believe that sex outside of marriage is wrong, and so if you're not married, you shouldn't be living together. I just thought that was as straightforward and as biblical 
as you can possibly get. You can't get any straighter than that. You know I had some people get offended because of that and left the church. Two of them were singing in the choir and they weren't married but living together. And um, somebody else got offended because they got offended. They got offended because they got offended. So I lost a couple more. Is it easy to offend people? Is it possible that people carry their feelings upon their shoulders and double dog dare you? I, I double dog dare you, knock that off my shoulder. And sometimes I might be tempted. <laughs> you ever see two teenagers, you know, boys, you know, you want to fight? Yeah, I'll fight. <laughs> draw a line, step over that line. I've done all this. <laughs> Knock it off, because you can't, you don't, you don't fight. You've got to have a reason for fighting. You just don't start fighting. So knock it off. You're not going to, then you get at it. And it's so easy. And all we do is when we grow up, we have just become big boys and girls, and we still get easily hurt and offended by something. And look at the damage we can cause, just because that's the way we are. Now, let me give this one last one in closing. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians in chapter 10. And look there in verse 12. Because what causes a person to stumble? Well, if you get your nose too stuck up in the air, you may not see that log that you're fixing to stumble over. The Bible says walk circumspectly. means like a long-tailed cat on a fence with barking dogs on both sides. Watch your step. So he says in verse 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he stumble. Stumble, he'll fall. Because when you stumble, you fall. And you've got to watch it. So that's why that's in these scriptures, because some people don't take their walk with the Lord seriously. I believe that my walk with the Lord is to be taken seriously. You should think yours is serious also. That's why you put bridles on your eyes and bridles on your tongue and bridles on your walk, everything in your life. Because though people will be offended, even if you lived as holy as you can possibly live, as God as you can, Christ did, and they were still offended. But at least they were offended because of the truth. Don't let it be that they were offended because of the error of your ways. Love does what? Covereth what? A multitude of sins. And we ain't got none of those here, do we? Anyway, let me show you something. You've never seen this before. This hand, let it represent you and me. And this wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. The Bible says that God... He loves us, but he hates our sin. God loves us. But all of us have sinned. We've all done things wrong. And to pay for the wrong is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us. But to go to heaven, you see, we have to be perfect. No sin. And with sin, we can't get in. So God says, you have to be perfect. There's only a perfect heaven. There's not a good heaven or so-so heaven. There's only a perfect one. And you and I don't qualify. So the Bible says you cannot save yourself. Man 
makes up his own gospel. Just tells you to have more good deeds than you do bad deeds, and you get in. He has no chapter and verse. There's no verse in the Bible that says that. No verse in the Bible that says, if you'll be pretty good, I'll let you go to heaven. You have to be perfect, and none of us are, and we have a debt, and it has to be paid. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh, came into the world because he loves us, hates our sin because our sin separates us from God. See, we're separated. That's what God calls dead in sins. Because of sins, I'm separated from God. I'm separated from him. I can't get to him because of sin. He can't get to me because of sin, because he's pure and holy. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, did not have to die. He came into the world, and because of his love, he's gonna, if he takes my sin, he has to die. So he took all the sin of all the world and died on the cross. Paid for it, came back from the dead. He says, if you and I, if we will believe that he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. I enjoy telling people, God loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. This is what he did. He would rather die than live without you. Because without that, you and I had no chance. That's how much he loves you. You're worth something in his eyes. He does care about you. He does love you. And so the most important thing you will ever do in your whole life is to believe he did it for you. If you reject Christ, you're rejecting the love of God. Jesus Christ is the love of God. What man would reject the love of God and turn down this free gift of eternal life to live forever with the Lord in heaven and no sin forevermore? I can't see a person doing that, but people do it. They're blind, deceived, but I hope that you that are here are a little bit more intelligent. It's a wise person, a smart person that will say, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself and I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you just simply just talk to the Lord right now? With your head bowed, just talk to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Friend, all of us are. And Lord, I believe that when Christ died, I believe he died for me. And I'm going to trust him as my Savior. And friend, if you'll trust him right now, God said he would save you right now and give to you eternal life. Would you believe it? Would you trust him? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you forward. But I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand just lets me know that what I said made sense. And you say, preacher, that made sense to me. And I will trust Christ as my Savior right now. And I'd like you to pray for me in closing. If you're doing that, just that much. Would you just slip it up very quickly and put it right back down? Just slip your hand up very quickly. Say, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Our Father, we thank you so much for all that Christ has done for us. We're thankful for this opportunity we have to come together because we believe that your word is the word. It is perfect. And that, Father, it will accomplish what it's sent forth to do. So bless in Christ's name we pray. Amen.